conversation. What is nothing? Now that's deep. What in the fuck are we doing here? That's deep, bro. Hey, what's up, bros? Welcome to That's Deep Bro, Serious Questions with Silly People. I am your host, Christina Pajitsky. I hope you had a great week. I hope it was full of uh, uh, deep thoughts. <laughs> Mine weren't. Mine were full of thoughts of uh, Western bacon cheeseburgers. It's all I want to eat right now. I'm uh, 18 weeks pregnant, and um, the only thing on my mind, you know, obviously, is this podcast but also Western bacon cheeseburgers with extra barbecue sauce and, um, and onion rings, which is really good for you. I think it's only calorically something like 1,500 calories, which is, you know, <laughs> it's like almost more than half of the, my daily intake I'm supposed to have, but whatever. You know, I go to the drive-thru, I get my burger and my onion rings, I park in the parking lot, and I eat it real quick. It's good, and then I lay down. Yeah. <laughs> also, hey, do you want to support the show? I, I hope you do. And um, please use my Amazon banner. When you go to thatsdeeprowpodcast.com, you, uh, you click on, there's like a little square at the bottom of every post. Click on that and do your shopping on Amazon as you normally would. And to make your life easier, I recommend just like bookmarking that you know, page, like click on my banner and then bookmark it. So that way you don't have to think about it a whole lot. I kind of do that. Also, I've gotten e- emails from people saying they've tricked their spouses <laughs> into shopping unknowingly through my portal by bookmarking it. And I think that's really fun because what's better than tricking your spouse? Isn't that the point to life? Uh, the happiness, the one joy we have is to trick those we love. <laughs> that's part of it, right? Anyway, I'm here in my new studio again. This is very exciting. Uh, there's a Pilates class downstairs. They were listening to horrible music. Um, I want to say like Right Said Fred, uh, just like r- ridiculous, ridiculous pop music. That's why I have a problem with group exercise classes because the, the music they subject you to, I just, I can't, I can't bros. Like I can't do it in all seriousness. Uh, exercise to crappy music. Like why isn't there no exercise class that has like, you know, post punk or anything? I don't know, like sixties British invasion (laughs) exercise class. (laughs) Instead it's all these shitty, uh, Miley Cyrus pop songs, which are fine, you know, but no, they're not, not for me. Let's be honest. I don't listen to that shit, right? Who listens to that? 12 year olds. And 12-year-olds aren't in group exercise classes, hopefully. All right. So here we go. Uh, This week, you know, I got into this show, this great show called The Masters of Sex. Kevin Christie, he was a guest on That's Deep Bro. Um, We talked about, I believe, uh, uh, grief and loss because he lost his father in a tragic hiking accident a few years back. It was so horrible. But uh, Kevin... He's a wonderful comedian. He's super funny. And he's on this TV show called Masters of Sex. He plays the the film, the filmographer, filmographer. What is that? Camera person? Uh, who's recording this. Anyway, the show is about Masters and Johnson. Um, two, two people, a man and a woman, who researched sex in the 50s. Um, I believe after Kinsey did his stuff. But they went into great detail and they actually recorded people having intercourse and people masturbating, and people with sexual dysfunctions, and they they tried to debunk a lot of myths about race too, about you know uh, black people and and their you know supposed libido, whatever, and penis size and orgasms and all this great stuff. So anyway, the show is about mostly Masters and Johnson, and they have this wonderfully lurid affair, and you know of course the the male doctor Masters. He's married to this like super, super sweet girl 
who's just who just wants a family, who just wants to be a normal fifties housewife. You know, she just she just wants to iron. She just wants to goddamn iron and and watch her soaps and have babies and um, do her good wifely duty. But her husband is fooling around with Johnson, his partner, his uh, lab partner. And they have this creepy weird, they're weird, you know, they're both weirdos. <laughs> uh, but he's also very traumatized from his childhood, Dr. Masters. And you find out later that he was abused by his father. And it essentially makes him kind of a miserable, insufferable turd to be around. Um, and he kind of takes out his shit on everyone around him and he's a bore it becomes really annoying and so his wife who's normally this wonderfully docile 50s lady just has a meltdown in this last episode i watched of season two she has this great meltdown and they're in the bedroom together and she freaks out on him and she says get over yourself you're making everyone miserable with your suffering look we all have suffering but you make everyone miserable with yours is basically the gist of it. And bells went off in my little uh, philosophical comedy brain. I went, oh, <laughs> that's so great, right? That's such a get over yourself. You're making everyone miserable with your suffering. Uh, we all have suffered is what she says. I thought, wow, isn't that some kind of neat grain, some kind of neat kernel for that's deep, bro. And two parts to that being get over yourself, which is interesting because you're making all of us miserable. Uh, secondly, everyone suffers and you're making everyone else unhappy. But but the most part, the, the, the first part I started thinking about is who is he getting over? What do you mean? What's the self? What self do we speak of? Do we even really know ourselves and what does philosophy have to say about it? And what does science have to say about it? Because I learned, you know, early uh, on in philosophy a little bit about the self. And I'm in psychotherapy, as you all know, every week. And I kind of get into the self more and more. But, but what is it? What is the self? So let's get into that uh, this episode. I have some neat ideas and neat stuff for you. All right. Let's rock it out. Let's do it. Let's do it. Richard Hell. I love Richard Hell. Little weirdo from New York. I don't even know. That song probably has nothing to do with this topic. I just wanted to hear Richard Hell. <laughs> he's such a snotty, such a cocky. No, I know why. I know why I picked him. Because he's uh, he seems like a guy who knows who he is. I remember like I had heard their music back in high school, right? Richard Hell and the Void, Void, Voidoids. But you don't know what these people look like. That's the crazy part of growing up in like the 80s and the 90s and 70s or whatever is you uh, bought albums. You didn't really know the history behind anything unless you had a friend that just knew this kind of stuff because there was no internet. You couldn't just Google Richard Hell and be like, who's this guy? What does he look like? What's he all about? So you'd make up stories in your head about these great people that you listen to. But I finally, after like listening to him, you know, for 17 years, I'm starting now to Google all the great musicians I grew up with and um, I'm learning about them. And, you know, he was just this like 20 year old kid from New York, uh, full of spunk and moxie. And, you know, if you look at a picture of Richard Hell, he's he's really into being Richard Hell. He's just like this cocky dude and, you know, made cool music. 
Uh, and he seems like he knows who he is. That's always the the thing about like cool musicians or comedians or actors or like I love Anthony Bourdain and and I think the reason people love people like that uh, is charisma and what is charisma but the uh, knowing yourself it charisma from what I've heard the definition to mean is it's people that are self aware they know who they are they know what they're not great at. And they know what they're great at. It's it's a self-awareness, um, which is really fascinating. I mean, how do you even get there? I feel like for so many years, I didn't know who the hell I was, especially in your 20s. You don't know what the fuck is going on. You know, I'm 39 now, and I think once you hit that age, you kind of just know yourself through uh, through years of living. You know, you you just start to realize patterns of stuff you like and stuff you don't like. Uh, excuse me. And, um, (laughs) yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So it's, it's interesting. Let's, so let's go, let's go to the beginning. So I watched that masters of sex show, as I said before, Richard Hell and, um, and Libby, I think that's her name yells at Dr. Masters and tells him to get over himself, which is a really crazy idea, man. Cause when you think about that, isn't that the whole point of enlightenment getting over yourself isn't getting over the self the whole point of Buddhism, of Christianity, of Catholicism, of all the spiritual paths? Ultimately, the point is to get over oneself. And that is kind of what growing up is. It's uh, realizing that the world does not revolve around you. Maybe you fall in love with somebody. Maybe you start a family. Maybe you sp- and, and you have a, cats and dogs and, and jobs. And maybe you're involved in the community. Maybe you, I don't know, you spend your time with other people doing nice stuff and you realize, hey, I'm not the center of the universe. I'm not everything there is. And it gives you a sense of relief. That's, that's really the core is it gives you a sense of relief uh, because you're not just dwelling in your own shit. And, and that's the problem with the self, right? You get in there. And, and, and it's all me, me, my, mo, me, mo, me, 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 me. What's, what's, what am I thinking? What am I doing? <laughs> oh, it's such a dark vortex. It's so, it's so boring. You know, it's so fucking boring. I was telling my shrink, cause I, someone asked me, some friend goes, uh, found out I was pregnant and goes, oh, aren't you, aren't you terrified? And I go, well, you know, what? Well, the physical part, I go, well, yeah, of course that part's terrifying. But also, um, you know, having to give up your life a little bit for somebody else. And I thought to myself, <laughs> what am I doing that's so great? Really? Real? What am I doing that there's not room in my life to give a little bit more to somebody else? You know, I mean, how many dinners can I go out to? How many glasses of wine can I drink before I was pregnant? How many, uh, how, what, what, what am I doing that's so fucking great? How many clubs am I going to go to and tell shit jokes every week, right? It's, it's okay to give of yourself to others because that's actually where the happiness comes from. Anyways, I've been, last week we did um, an episode on success and so many of you emailed me saying that you love that episode. I loved it too. I love talking to my husband about this stuff because I, I read a lot about success. I love reading about um, how other people have gotten successful. I love those old timey books. I love like Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. I love um, um, The Magic of Believing, which is the book Phyllis Diller credits as being the book that kind of cracked her head open and changed her thinking and made her a hugely successful comedian. It didn't make her one, but it, you know, you read something and something shifts in your brain and you're like, oh man, that's that's what's been holding me back. That's the thing that's been holding me back. Um, and so I'm, I'm still reading this book called Failing Forward. Actually, I'm not even reading it. I'm listening to it. Um, it's an audio book that I downloaded, Failing Forward. And it's great because it's one of those old-timey books where like the guy, <laughs> the narrator is clearly from like the 60s and the 50s. And uh, <laughs> all the examples <laughs> are like old-timey. You know, he's like, talk about moxie. Uh, you know the story of Rudy? They made a movie about Rudy plays football for Notre Dame. You're like, oh boy. 
can we do like a Tiger Woods story? That story is pretty inspirational too. But um, so failing forward, he he uh, has a section on getting over yourself, which I thought was really cool too. It's it's basically because his theory being. If you're in a position to give back, to give to others, to be part of a bigger thing, uh, greater than yourself, you're essentially saying to the world, hey, man, I got so much. I'm so full. Um, I'm not coming from a place of neediness. I'm not coming from a place of like, gimme, 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 because that's gross, right? Isn't that gross, that energy? When you meet somebody and they're just like, ugh, desperate, ugh. Like, you know, and I think the same, it's the same with business uh, and love. Like, at least in show business, the more that you're like grasping and like, oh, give me, give me a TV show. Oh, give me, give me the stand up thing. Give me, ugh. it just like, ugh, it repels. And think about that energy when you're dating people too. Isn't that the grossest? You know, like I remember going on dates and you just, you just, ugh, you smell that other person's desperation. So when you're in a position to give to others, you get out of that core of neediness and of yucky, excuse me, energy of like, ugh, of just, ugh, of just, ugh. <laughs> Jean-Paul Sartre, my, one of my favorite philosophers, talks about living as an example to other people. Now, hold on. I, I was a bad philosopher and I didn't look up the quote. Let me look it up. Well, I didn't find the exact quote, but essentially, um, you know, Sartre and existentialism, it runs into problems because it's not rooted in a God. And so people go, oh, well, how do you come up with a system of ethics? How do you come up with ethics in a godless world? Oh my gosh, how could we... How can we possibly know how to live as good people uh, without the man in the sky telling us what's right and what's wrong? And um, Sartre says it's basically an extension of Kant's, 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 Kant is a Kant, what's his name? Kant, Immanuel Kant. Jesus, that guy's quite, uh, that's a dense one to read too. But anyway, that's the only, by the way, Kant is the only class I ever got a C in in philosophy. Can you believe that, guys? That's the worst grade I ever got in a philosophy class. We did the prolegomena to any future metaphysics. How horrible is that title? Prolegomena to any future metaphysics. It was the most boring goddamn class I have ever sat through in my entire life. And, you know, philosophy should be interesting, but the, oh, it's just like so goddamn worse. Okay, so so Sartre solves the problem of, of ethics and morals. Um, and basically he says, because there is no God, it's kind of liberating uh, we have a godlike responsibility to create what it is to be human, since there is no preset human essence. Meaning, because God, there is no God, it doesn't define what it is to be human, what our essence is, what our self is. Ha ha ha. He said that the answer to this is we should live our lives as a model for all mankind. This is Kant's categorical imperative, basically, to 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 act as as to act in a way that you would will everyone act. He says, we need to set examples and pattern our lives so that others will follow. Don't think of yourself as an individual because what we do makes up mankind. As you live your life, what you're doing is producing what it is to be a human being. How interesting of an idea is that? Um, that you're living not for yourself. Is that even possible? Like to create what it is to be all of humankind. So it's important. All the shit that you do every day, basically it has importance. Don't ever for a second think that what you do has no effect on other people because other people watch you. Like you you kind of are living by example. You know, uh, for instance, I, I'm not a vegan myself, but I, I had a vegan in my family for many years. And, you know, I come from a hardcore Hungarian family where uh, veganism is like... <laughs> You may, you may as we well be, um, you know, a serial killer. Like what? That doesn't even exist. And anyway, like, who doesn't eat meat? You know, Hungarians. My my parents grew up severely deprived of meat, so the thought of relinquishing that voluntarily is is ridiculous. And um, but I, you know, I had a cousin who was vegan for many years, and I would admire her her determination and courage to come to like thanksgivings and christmases 
and stand for something. Um, and she stood for not being cruel to animals. And that does affect other people. I think that your actions and your convictions can affect others because it definitely affected me where I went, wow, you can do that. Like you can, you can just show up. She would show up to the Thanksgiving dinner with her tofurkey and she would go ahead and make it and we'd all be eating our regular turkey and God bless her. She'd have her tofurkey and, and you know, of course the older people were like rolling their eyes behind her back and being shitty about it. Um, but what an example of courage and what, a, what an example to other people of like, Oh, well, sorry, this is what I believe in. And I think that's really, really cool. So what is the self? That is like such a hard question, right? Like, who are you? How many times have you been asked that? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? What are you, what are you about? What do you stand for? Who are you? I mean, there's a reason people's most dreaded question on the job interview is, hey, t- tell me about yourself. Ugh, isn't that the worst? The worst question somebody can ask you? And it shouldn't be. It should be like the easiest thing in the world because aren't you an expert on you? Shouldn't you know you better than anybody else? But that's kind of not the case. I mean, think about it. Like, I feel like people that are closest to you tend to know you better than you sometimes because they know your behaviors, they know your patterns. But yeah, tell tell me about yourself. Oh, God. That's a fuck. It's torture. You shouldn't even be allowed to ask somebody that question. You should just you should just ask them, you know, tell me about the last dump you took. I don't know. Something better. Like, what's the last cool meal you ate? Don't tell me. It's, it's too big a question. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. So what is the self? What does that mean? Who are you? What are you about? I mean, you can tell people details about yourself, you know. I usually have stock phrases that I use in those terrible meanings which I highly recommend. I usually tell people and they're like, so tell me about yourself. I have a phrase and I just tell people I'm the world's best grilled cheese sandwich. And I don't say shit after let them figure that out. I'm the world's best grilled cheese sandwich. There you go. That's what you got suckers. So the self and philosophy, um, philosophy does a poor job in my estimation of explaining the self and it's not its fault. It's because philosophy kind of was a pre-science science. Philosophy existed before we had tools of real measurement, um, before we could put little probes on people's brains and see which areas lit up and all that kind of crap. So, you know, like people like Aristotle were like the OG scientists in essence trying to explain the world through, um, you know, wearing their cool like togas and sandals. And I mean, you saw in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure how uh, Socrates was hanging like that's that's it that was science back then um, so it starts with the soul that's kind of how philosophy begins to explain the self and we didn't really have a concept of self they didn't use that word instead they said the soul and um, there's a book called De Anima De uh, not De Anima that's a very different story De Anima, A-N-I-M-A, which means the soul, um, de anima. And I had to read that book in college, believe it or not. I actually liked it. I actually liked Aristotle very much because he says that, and I think this is one of the most logical explanations if you're going to do an explanation of the soul. Um, he said that the soul, is it's not like a rational soul. It's not the way, I think, that later Thomas Aquinas would go and, and, and make the soul essentially like a person. (laughs) Um, He said, Aristotle, that like different beings have different types of souls. Okay, so a plant would have the essence of a plant, soul, if you want to call it that. Um, An animal has an animal soul and a human has a human type 
of soul. And when you die, I thought this part was kind of cool, is that um, that energy, souls are kind of energy, and the energy gets sort of recycled. But he didn't, I don't think Aristotle would see the soul the same way, like I said, Thomas Aquinas would later on where it, it's a personality and it's a ghost and it floats around and it goes to purgatory or it goes into heaven and is judged. You know, all that stuff is, is wackadoodle. Um, but Aristotle said uh, that the soul is the form or essence of any living thing, that it is not a distinct substance from the body that it is in. And that becomes a huge d- debate in philosophy is whether or not the soul <laughs> is a distinct substance from the body does it subsist within the body? Is it the power? The soul is the powerhouse of the body. I remember that being another argument. Is the soul of the body, is it in the body? Is it material or is it like an immaterial component that when we die goes on and exists intact? So that was a huge problem in the medieval and the Renaissance period um, because Aristotle was a godless uh, sodomite. I don't know if he was a sodomite, but he, he wasn't Christian. And so when the Christians found these Greek texts in the medieval period, it was a huge problem because there was no God in it. And how do we deal? How do we live a life without God? Is it even possible that God, you know, without him telling us um, what to do, if we could be decent humans? So Thomas Aquinas was charged with the task of translating Aristotle from Greek uh, in the Latin, of course, because everybody was huge reading Latin, right? Like you guys read Latin, right? Um, <laughs> he had to fit Aristotle into uh, uh, the church and make it work. And he takes it and he runs with it. And, um, you know, all, like I said, he does this whole soul thing where the soul subsists as a separate part of the body, but goes on once we die. And it's so it's so fun because he goes on to talk about like angels, what are angels, what are their souls like, and all all this nonsense, nonsense. So, but the idea being early on is that uh, there's a core to the human being. There's a core, and uh, there's an idea that there's a core to us, and that we can stray from that core uh, and sin and be and be bad people from time to time. And I think with science, it's evolved. Um, now that we know a lot more about human beings, hold on a second. I'm trying to find you guys this video. I found this funny Italian guy talking. Um, the concept of what a self is, has changed significantly. There's, um, this book written by Sam Harris, who's a neuroscientist let me find his article. I'm going to pull this up for you guys. So I have it. It's a really cool, um, this guy's written a ton of books and somebody actually sent me a book. I haven't read it yet about like the death of religion and everything. Sam Harris, author of end of faith. He's written a million best-selling books. He's a neuroscientist. And, um, this guy says that the sense of self is an illusion. Whoa. So there isn't like a core, self from which we can deviate from, from, right? That we can, we can point to and go, I know that's the self. That's, that's who I am. Whew. It's so scary. Um, so yeah, so Sam Harris in the end of faith, he says, uh, self is an illusion because it's a subjective experience and it is not what it seems. Illusions are experiences in the mind, but they are not out there in nature. So Rather, they're events generated by the brain, which is crazy. So most of us have an experience of a self, but because it's not an objective thing, like we can't, nobody can point to Christina's experience of the world uh, because it's so subjective. It's, it's kind of an illusion. It's subjective because only we can experience it. And he references David Hume and William James, kind of a similar idea. There is conscious awareness of the present moment um, that William James called the I, but there is also a self that reflects upon who we are in terms of our history, our current activities, and our future plans. James called this aspect of the self me, which most of us would recognize as our personal identity, who we think we are. So the I and the me, who we think we are, are just like changing, ever-changing narratives generated by our brain to provide like a coherent framework to organize the output of all the factors that contribute 
to our thoughts and behaviors. Uh, for instance, that's what you do when you go see your therapist every week. You are recreating the narrative, the story of your life. Narrative is just a fancy word for story. And kind of re relooping that story in your brain to be more productive <laughs> for you, to, to reframe it to be more positive maybe. But that's a really, really um, kind of scary thought that there is no core you. Your identity is just what you kind of tell yourself you are. And also the brain can hallucinate a reality and fill in the gaps like a Kinesia pattern. I, you know, I, let, I had to look that up, Kinesia. I hope I'm saying that right. But it's like um, if you look it up, Kinesia pattern, it's like it's these shapes um, it'll be like four triangles, but your brain will fill in the missing connector pieces to those triangles. It'll actually, you know, you could, you see those stupid puzzles that people have on Facebook and you fill in the pattern, your brain will just see shit that it shouldn't. Um, that's kind of what happens with reality too, which is kind of true when you think about it. I mean, how many times have you told yourself a story about what's happening. How many times have you been on drugs and you've hallucinated stuff that wasn't there? Ooh, that's kind of scary, right? And he also says Sam Harris, Sam or Harris, right? There's Sam Harris, there's Dan Harris. I don't want to confuse the two. Um, that childhood is a huge factor in forming the self. It's a major factor. And he said that because human beings are so complicated and so, so awesome, basically our brains are so rad, that that's why our childhoods are so long so it can um, integrate and form the self. Um, and, and that's a scary thought for those of us that didn't have fantastic parents. <laughs> when you think about how much of yourself is formed from other people, um, it's really not even you. The you that you think is you is actually kind of an aggregate of other people. Like when I think about friends that I've made over the years, you know how you meet somebody and that person just blows your mind and you spend all this time together and you end up kind of co-opting some of their personality traits. Um, and that usually happens when you're way younger, when you're like in high school or college. And, you know, I've got friends I can point to for sure that have shaped who I am and had I not met them, I would be to a totally different person. So, so that's pretty wacky, right? So the he Sam Harris says, I emphasize the developmental processes that shape our brains from infancy onwards to create our identities as well as a systemic bias. Oh, this is such... Uh, it distorts the content of our identity to form a consistent narrative. So it's, it's a very fluid idea, uh, the self, I think is what he's trying to say. We Oh, and also what's really interesting is the self that is now projected in social media. So who is that self? We all know it. God damn, we all know it. You have, <laughs> it makes me crazy, actually. Um, social media, Instagram, Facebook, how people portray themselves on these mediums. Man, I'll tell you what, if you ever want to know what's up with a person, look at their Instagram account. If you want to know uh, how sick somebody really is, <laughs> go to their Instagram and count the number of selfies. Count the number of just the fish, the duck face, uh, me, 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 me pictures. I'm telling you that that is a sign that someone is so full of themselves. So, so narcissistic. It makes my asshole pucker. Uh, these forms of social media because you can tell like, dude, your life's not that great. Nobody's life is as great as you're pretending it is right now. You know, when you go on Facebook and everyone's like, just hanging out with Baba, but partying. Woo! You're like, dude, how, how much of your life is that fantastic? I got to tell you, 90% of my life is highly unglamorous. It's spent on my couch uh, with my dogs, my husband, the television, food, uh, you know, shitting, eating, sleeping, screwing, nothing that exciting. You know, every now and then something cool happens in our careers. We get to meet somebody famous or something like that, or, you know, a cool moment at the house, feel a baby kicking, like just mundane, wonderful, mundane things. I don't mean to shit on those things, by the way. 
Um, I love the mundane. That's all. That's really all there is, man. All the other stuff is is fun when it happens, but it's like, pfft. yeah, and okay. So I met that famous person. Great. Now what? Let's go eat. Let's go take a dump. Um, so, anyways, yeah, the social media presence is really interesting because if you'll notice, <laughs> if you'll notice, people present themselves sometimes vastly different uh, than who they are in real life, and it makes me laugh so hard uh when i say you know know the person like you know that person's not as cool as they're pretending to be on their on their instagram and it makes it makes me laugh really hard when people try really hard to show you how much fun they're having uh how many friends they have and how fantastic their lives are all the time it's pretty great it's pretty great oh my god there's one guy on instagram i like i wish i knew the name of him there's a few accounts i love um vacation vacation shirt dad is pretty great it's just a bunch of dads in vacation shirts. And then there's this one guy who just took the same picture of himself every day for like a year, like his selfie, which is amazing to me. That's exactly what, what a selfie looks like to me every time you do it. Uh, I just want to take pictures of my dumps every day and put them up on Instagram. I'm like, here it is. Here it goes. I know, Christina, why do you do it? Oh, if you hate it, why are you on Instagram? Because I have to, okay? Because I got to do it for, for my fucking business. Otherwise, people think... I'm some kind of dinosaur because I'm not on Instagram. I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Periscope. I got to be doing all this crap. Okay? Okay. Uh, okay, let's see. So uh, the self is also morphed and and warped, essentially, with social media. And I think that's going to show... I think there's going to be implications down the line it's in terms of this generation, too, growing up with social media. It's so different. I mean, imagine, like, what do we have growing up? I had, like, a locker that I decorated to let people know what I was about, right? Now it's, like, your Facebook wall, your Instagram. Everyone knows everything, and everyone's trying to be somebody else. Ooh. So this article uh, with Sam Harris, they ask him, uh, if the self is an illusion, what is your position on free will? Free will, he says, is certainly a major component of the self-illusion, but it is not synonymous both are illusions but the self extends beyond oh fucking christ basically uh, you got to adhere to social norms is what he's saying but it does make it trickier if you're not you in essence if you're made up of all these different parts how do you hold people accountable and that's just a stupid question i've always hated those types of questions in philosophy like well, how do you know? How can you be a good person if you don't know who you are? Like, shut up. I think people have a, still a sense of right and wrong. You know because of context. You know uh, because other people aren't doing it. That's how you know it's wrong to kill, right? Because most people don't do it. You fucking discourage it. That's how you know. Um, but, okay, so he goes, you know, it might be a bummer to discover that the self is an illusion, um, and it's not the solid thing. It's more of kind of a fluid thing. It's kind of made up of a lot of stuff, but, um, it's also kind of liberating. And I think if we frame it within the context of what I said with Jean-Paul Sartre, uh, you can create the human being you want to be. And I've always found that to be my mantra. My way of living is to create who you, who you are. Do not listen to society do not listen to your past. Do not listen. Try not to listen to the media for Christ's sake telling you who you should become. Uh, you you do what you do. Um, and I, I had this thought. Oh, yeah. In college, I had this great professor who brought up the, uh, the idea that, you know, your cells in your body regenerate every seven years. Like everything. Every seven years, it regenerates. So can you actually say you're the same person? that you were seven years ago because physically you're not the same person. Whoa, dude. That's pretty crazy, right? Pretty fucking crazy. So also an addendum to all this stuff, because I remember um, talking to my cousin who I love, this vegan cousin who's no longer vegan. Uh, one night she broke down and had bacon pizza, which I thought was great. But I remember talking to her in my car once being like, <laughs> oh, because I, I was just starting to get into therapy. And um, and I remember asking her, hey, what is, like, do you have self-esteem? Like, what is that? When both of us didn't know. You know, I know it's thrown around a lot. Like, the self-esteem. 
have self-esteem. And I don't think you're taught that in school. I don't, I didn't know what it was for the longest time. I actively had to research self-esteem because it's such a corny, corny um, idea, right? Like you have self-esteem. And I guess, you know, over the years I've since kind of figured it out. And I, I think it's just feeling proud about yourself. Is that the right answer? Feeling good about crap that you've done crap that you've done. And I think that that's actually the whole thing is to do stuff. And that's how you feel good about yourself. Same with what is self love. (laughs) That's another ubiquitous. Do you love yourself? I love myself. (laughs) What the fuck does that mean? God, I never understood that one either. But I think as I get older, as I say, I I think what that means, self-love is just self-care. It kind of translates to that in my head, you know, Um, especially being preggers now, you really have to take care of yourself. I have to be really conscious of what I'm eating, if I'm sleeping, if I'm getting exercise, if I'm overwhelmed, I have to pull back. It kind of has amplified the level of self-care that I have and self-love. I love myself. (laughs) It's that right. Like I can't say it without laughing because it sounds fucking retarded. Like. I love myself. Oh, (laughs) I don't know. People have asked me over the years, um, they've said, Christina, you seem to know yourself. How do you get to know yourself? How do you get to know yourself? And that's a great question because I don't, I think a lot of people don't know themselves. And I think there's a lot of adults walking around this planet who don't know who the fuck they are. Um, You see it a lot. You see it in people, uh, who are really preoccupied with other people's lives. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm feeling? You know what I'm talking about? You ever have those people who seem to be in everyone else's Kool-Aid? Seem to be really, really involved in other people's marital problems or gossip or bop, 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 I have a sneaking suspicion that those people don't really know themselves. And so... I think the best way to know yourself, if you're a young person listening to the show, I know I have a lot of 20, my bu- my little boo-boo uh, 20-year-olds listening. It's here's the, here's the secret, I think, is that to get to know yourself, you got to go through some bad shit. I know, it's kind of a bummer. But the irony is bad stuff, bad things, bad times, Uh, struggle, heartache, heartbreak, failure, defeat, all of these things, that's when you know who you are. And it sounds so trite, and I know you've heard it in songs, but I have to say it's never been the good times that I've learned much about myself. It's always been in the darkest hour, the dark, the dark night of the soul, as they say. Um, because I, I think it's because it's a break. Those little breaks, those little psychic breaks, those those jolts to who you think you are, that's where the cool stuff is. That's where the illusion of who you think you are is met with a distinct reality. And that's where you can go, oh, fuck. I'm not doing it so good. I'm not exactly who I thought I was here. And what's happening. And I think that's when your sense of self uh, meets up against against what's happening, empirically, reality, so to speak. You know, like tectonic plates, they shift, they come up against each other and they, they, they explode. And that's when the cool stuff happens. And it's horrible, but it's kind of true. And it's kind of necessary. Also, I think travel travel god that is one of those things that uh changes you and and uh and and absolutely shapes who you are i i never understand god damn i gotta turn on this fucking computer uh travel is imperative i think that if you're feeling stuck if you're in a rut 
there's a reason that getting on a plane or getting in your car and going somewhere else changes shit for you, right? It's because you're out of your comfort zone and it, you're out of the routine. You're out of the normal way of seeing things for you. And that's when real change happens. Um, I can't tell you how many amazing trips I've been on that have been horrible. And I've really learned about myself and learned who I was. One time I went on a comedy tour. I did it like a military tour and we went to uh, Somalia, <laughs> to Djibouti, Djibouti. And um, it was 140 degrees. It was like August or July, late August, July. This is years ago. And I'm in Djibouti of all places, just the ass crack of the universe. I spent a night in Ethiopia in Addis, Addis Ababa. And then we went to uh, Djibouti. And uh, 140 degrees, dudes, so hot. And the shows were great. You know, it's for military. So it's always like, you know, you're doing your good deeds and stuff. But um, I'll never forget this. It was the most scariest shit that's ever happened to me. One of the scariest things to happen uh, besides locked up abroad that shows like the scariest thing that can happen. But so I'm trying to get out of Djibouti. It's time for us, me and these two other comedians to fly to the UAE to continue this tour. And we have this great guy, this representative from the military who's like, you know, the coordinator and uh, we've been hanging out with him all week. We're buds now. We're bros. And like, he goes to drop us off at the airport. And I'm like, are you going to come with us? You're going to walk us through to make sure we get on this plane. He goes, no, don't worry about it. It's totally fine. Like, I do this every week. You're you're fine. You're going to be great. And I was like, all, all right, sure. Yeah. You know, naive Christina. See you later. Go ahead and leave me in a Jabushan airport. Uh, you know, because I'm sure right around sundown, if I'm still here, Nice white blonde girl like me won't get snatched up and kidnapped and traded. But that, no, it's fine. Just go. Holy shit. So, of course, you know, we go to the ticket counter. Great. Nobody speaks a word of English. So we're just like, well, it's so far so good. But we get to customs and I go, I give my passport to the Jabushin passport guy who's got the stamper that determines your fate. In whatever country you're in, he looks through my passport. He looks at me and he just goes, no. And he shoes me away. No shit. No. And he shoes me away. I'm like, okay. Two other comedians after me, same thing. No. Shoes them away. No. Shoes them away. And at this point, like, uh, my heart's just like, what? what is going on? And nobody speaks English. Hey, that's neat. Nobody speaks English. Um, okay. So we're told no. I can see the plane from where I'm standing. I can see the plane. I know I got to get on there. We have no representative from the US. We have n- no nothing. We're just freeballing. So we got out our telephone, which when you're in Africa, generally, like it's a different phone system. We try calling the guy, no response. Great. Now we're fucked, right? We find some soldiers that can speak some language, not English, to the Jabushan official. Um, they seem to be yelling at each other. It doesn't look very good. I'm like panicking already. And next thing I know, the Jabushan official ushers us into a room, like a tiny windowless room. And I'm just like, this is it, dude. This is locked up abroad. Like, um, they're going to sell me to, I don't know who, I'm going to end up being like a, a Jabushan sex slave. Jesus Christ, like, this is horrible. I'm just, my whole life is flashing in front of my eyes. And um, the official looks at me, looks at the other two comics, and he goes, $40. (laughs) This motherfucker wanted a bribe. And so, of course, I'm like, $40? Yes, here's 80, bro. Here you go. Here's my wallet. Get me the fuck out of this country. Well, the girl that was with me, decided that she didn't want to pay him $40 and starts fighting him on it. Starts arguing with the Jabushan official about the bribe. I more or less like pushed her out of the way and was like, no bitch. And I gave him the money plus a little extra, just a little extra to make sure we get on that plane. And I like, I gave her a full Heisman, like no bitch, no, shut up. We're getting on this fucking plane. 
And I remember getting on that plane by the hair of my little chinny chin chin. We barely made it on there. And it was the first day of Ramadan, I believe, the high holy holiday in the Muslim world. And I was so rattled. I was like shaking. I couldn't believe that I had done something like that. It was just so stupid to even go to Djibouti. And I I begged the flight attendant for a beer. I said, I know there's no alcohol during Ramadan. I'm an American and I am in desperate need of something to calm myself the fuck down. So she finds the one warm beer on the plane. And I'll never forget. I was sitting in between two like Djiboutian people just chugging this beer on on takeoff and just thanking God that I had made it on this plane because I almost didn't. But I'll tell you, that was one of those experiences where, you know, when your survival instinct <laughs> clicks in and you're like, what What am I doing here? Wait, why did I come to Djibouti to tell jokes to people? Am I out of my fucking mind? Um, yeah, it was pretty intense, bros. But travel. <laughs> Maybe not to where I went. Maybe not in war zones, um, but other places. Uh, it's good for you. It's good for your soul. Now, the interesting part about self is that you spend your life in your ego, right? Like your first part of your adult life is spent trying to be somebody, trying to trying to scrape up some ducats, getting that house, getting life, getting everything. And then you realize it doesn't fucking matter and that you need to get out of your ego. So the first half of your life is getting really enmeshed in your ego. And I find that the second half is getting the fuck out of it. <laughs> And you better get the fuck out of it. Because I'll tell you why. You ever hang out with someone who is so into their own ego and so enmeshed in their own dog shit? It's the worst. Oh, it's just the worst. I mean, I you ever had dinner with someone who can't stop talking about themselves? Right? Me, my, mo, my, me, my, mo, my, me, 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 me. It's, it's boring. It's so boring. You got to get out of it. Otherwise, you're going to be a bore to everyone else. Right? Just like. Excuse me, Dr. Masters, you're going to be fucking boring. But at the same time, you don't want to be too rigid about the rules of who we are. I know you get, I get, I get very um, married to who I am, especially the older I get. You know, I don't like this. I don't do that. I don't blah, 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 blah. And that's really rigid too. You don't want to be too rigid. You want to allow yourself to expect the unexpected, right? To, you want to be open to new experiences because that is the danger of getting older is that you get stuck in ways of being, because they're just familiar. And that's when you need to to do bad things, right? To travel to Djibouti, to get stopped by an official, <laughs> to have to give some kind of bribe to get out of the country. All that stuff is fun. Um, this is interesting too. So speaking of self, I mean, the, uh, the whole thing about Buddhism and religion and spirituality is to get out of the ego, to get out of the self, to be part of the community of an integrated whole. And I once knew a person who has a PhD in religious studies. And one day she says to me, do you buy that stuff about we're all one, we're all connected? And I go, yeah, I think so. She's like, well, how does that work exactly? Like, how does it work that we're all connected? Because I I don't feel like other people. I don't feel like I'm connected to other people. I don't feel like I want to be. And <laughs> and I think to some extent that that's accurate. You know, on a bad day, I don't feel connected to all of humanity. But on a day where, uh, you know, I've done, I've done acid before. We're all adults here. You do feel connected to all of humanity, to a, a sense of greaterness, something bigger than yourself. Um, and you can get that through belonging. I think if you feel very alienated, you don't feel like you belong to the human race. And don't get me wrong, man. There are some days where I look at my fellow humans, um, usually boys in aggressive pickup trucks that zoom past me as I'm trying to get on the freeway and cut me off. Those aggressive assholes, definitely not part of my collective collective self. Okay? You don't get to be a part of it. But, um, yeah, but what does that mean that we're all connected as one? And I know that's a very airy-fairy sort of ubiquitous boo 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 thing pie in the sky. But I think I think that's one of those things you have to feel. I don't think that's one of those things that you just intuitively know. Actually that's not true. I think as a small child I felt connected to everything and then it was beaten out of me through uh, society. Yeah. Right? 
teachers, parents, they like to beat that uh, mystical feeling out of you because it's not scientific. It's not rational. So there you go, guys. Uh, read Failing Forward. It's a pretty great book. It talks about getting over yourself in order to get on with being a successful person. And this does seem to be um, a major piece in the success chain. This is kind of a continuation of last week, this getting over yourself topic. Um, I, I hear it over and over in all of these like self-help books I've read and all these books about really successful people um, who've achieved a lot. A lot of it is getting over yourself and being able to assist other people. It's so big to be able to give back. Um, do I do it all the time? No. But I'd like to think that this show and uh, my other show, Your Mom's House, is is a form of that. It's the way I know how to do it because I'm not good with intimacy. I'm not good uh, with actual physical human contact. Uh, this is This is how I do it. I do it through sharing my experiences with you. And I hope that that, um, you know, and I know, I know we've made connections. All right. I know you and I have, I know it. I get the emails, I get the tweets and I appreciate it. And I, and I know that this makes some kind of difference. I hope so. So there you go. Get over yourself. It's the only way to get on with it, guys. Like figure out who you are and then get the hell over it. I think that's the point of today's show. Spend your life figuring it out and then spend the second half of your life just dismantling all of that crap because you know at the end of the day it's good to know uh, your patterns it's good to know your boundaries it's good to know what you will and will not tolerate what you stand for what because if you stand for nothing forget it you do have to stand for something but also know that shit changes and that uh, life is change and life is adapting and really the essence to a good life is to be able to extend out of yourself. Otherwise, it's misery. I mean, how many people do you know who are just total lone dogs, who haven't extended themselves? And I get it, it's scary. It's totally scary to extend of yourself, to to bring other people into your world. I had such tremendous issues about marriage, about having children for many, many years because of my past and... uh you know, there's a point where you got to say, fuck it. You got to take chances. You got to get over yourself. You got to get over the stories in your head because that's all that is. That's the stories, right? That's what Sam Harris is talking about. The constructs from your past, the constructs of the present. It's narratives that change in one's mind. The self is not as solid as you think. So get over it. <laughs> Isn't that liberating? I think that's a wonderful, wonderful message. It's not, it's not solid. Who you think you are is not who you are. Who you've been telling yourself you are is not who you are. My God, you know, whenever I get scared of something, I always think to myself, why? Why am I so, what, is, what am I afraid of here? What fragile sense of self is being damaged here? And usually that's where the answer is, right? Because you have some cockamamie notion of why you can't do X, Y, or Z, Right? I can't do this because of this, because of my past, because of this and that. And that's just not true. So anyways, guys, this week, look at the shit. What are you telling yourself you can't do? What, are you, what stories have you concocted to make up yourself? Well, I can't do that. I'm not this kind of person, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? Sam Harris says it's an illusion. Your sense of self is an illusion anyways, so fuck it. There you go. Two tears in the bucket. Fuck it. All right. That's it, bros. I hope you've enjoyed this journey and uh, have a great week. Pray for me that I don't succumb to my Western bacon cheeseburger addiction again this week. It was three last week. I'm trying not to do this because I don't want to die of diabetes. I don't want to die fat. But it's that barbecue sauce, man. I can't I can't get over that Q sauce. Oh, and the way it's on the onion rings like that. All right, guys. All right, bros. Stay deep. Bye. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with
Christina P, aka Miss Jeans. This ain't your mom's house. It's a different theme. Gotta be critically thinking. Like you caught up at a cocktail party, our thoughts start to sink in. John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates. Got us talking all properly, topically. Just a comedian discussing these philosophies. Serious questions, silly people. What's that? That's deep, bro. It is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.